Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our service on March 24th, Palm Sunday. Today we're looking at communion, the Lord's table, particularly as how it is reconfigured, introduced by Jesus during the Passover week. So this is kind of tied into our series we've been in called Following Jesus, as well as Holy Week as well. And one other note I wanted to say is uh, we've been posting devotionals for the season of Lent, but we, we're taking a break from that this week because we've passed out a uh, devotional presented by the Vineyard USA uh, that we passed out at church uh, this week. So there won't be any up on the website if you're looking for them because we have printed devotionals this week. So just a little note on that. But hey, we're going to go ahead and head to the talk now. Thanks for listening. Check us out at northshorevineyard.org. Today is Palm Sunday. Did y'all know that? Anybody ever heard of Palm Sunday before? Anybody know what it means? Okay, I'll tell you real quick. Palm Sunday has nothing to do with your hand. It has to do with, you're like, oh, it's like a high five for Jesus kind of thing. Uh, no. Um, Palm Sunday, it, it commemorates uh, the, the, the start of Holy Week. And it, it's about a story about Jesus when he comes into Jerusalem. Now, we've, we've gone through the Gospel of John. We spent most of last year going through the Gospel of John. And after Easter, we're going to get back into it and start on chapter 9. And um, hopefully by next year, we'll be to the crucifixion by the time Easter hits. Uh, that's, that's kind of the, the plan. Um, but Palm Sunday commemorates the, the day in history, nearly 2,000 years ago, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And I've, I've made this point a couple of times that, that Jesus, most of his ministry was not in Jerusalem. Jesus was a big fan of doing his ministry on the North Shore. <laughs> we got the kind of church Jesus would go to. Uh, North Shore, no. Uh, on the North Shore of the Sea of Galilee, that's where Jesus did most of his, his uh, ministry. So he was in all these little rural fishing villages, and he developed quite a reputation there. Uh, there was a few occasions that we noticed in the Gospel of John where Jesus goes into Jerusalem and he does things that really make the religious people mad, like healing a person on, a sun, uh, on, on the Sabbath. And uh, they get mad, like you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath. And he just does things to, to get at their religious mindset. He's kind of picking a fight. And it works because the religious people, they start plotting to kill him. Now, Jerusalem, think of it kind of like the Vatican nowadays. It's the, it's the epicenter of religion for Judaism. Uh, that's where the... You know, you got the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests, the whole priestly system, and you've got the temple. And when we say temple, we're not talking a little building like this. I saw the temple a few years ago. It's massive. Think of 10 or 12 city blocks wide and 10 or 12 city blocks, probably 20 or 30, 40 blocks long. It's massive. It's this huge structure. And so it's the epicenter of their religious sacrifice and the temple system and all that stuff. And Jesus goes right up into the middle of that, and he just starts picking a fight with all the religious people, you know, pointing out their kind of hypocrisy, that they follow all these rules, and yet they don't, they don't really value the work of God and actually freeing people and seeing people healed. And, and so he's this contrast. They get mad. They want to kill him. So Jesus goes back to the North Shore, and he does his ministry there. But on Holy Week... Uh, what we call Holy Week. It wasn't called Holy Week back then. It was called Passover. Actually, Passover in the Jewish calendar starts tomorrow evening uh, when the sun goes down. It goes until that, the following Monday when the sun goes down. But Jesus decides to come to Jerusalem during Passover. 
Now, I want, to, I want us to just kind of think about the question real quick. Jesus knows people in Jerusalem want to kill him. He could go there any time that he wanted to. But why does Jesus go during Passover? Why has Jesus saved the apex of his whole ministry for Passover week? Well, as we've noted it going through the Gospel of John, I believe Jesus is he's reliving the story of Israel throughout their history. And now he's taking all the, the collected imagery of Passover, all the celebrations for the year, and he's going to say something by being there in Passover, by being crucified during Passover and being resurrected on Passover that is, that is very interesting. Now, um, when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, it's, it's called the triumphal entry. And Jesus is actually doing what many false messiahs or would-be messiahs had done several times in the couple of hundred years leading up to that. If you were going to be a messiah, there was a certain kind of script that you would follow. You'd come into Jerusalem through the east gate, and uh, if people acknowledged you, they would lay palm branches down, lay their cloaks down, and that was a sign that you were royalty, that that you're a messiah. I, I want to make one little brief note here, a little asterisk. The Jewish people were not hoping for God to be the Messiah. They didn't, they didn't think that God would be the Messiah. They just thought a Messiah would be like Moses or some guy that would kick butt, you know, run off the Romans. They were expecting just particularly an earthly ruler. And so Jesus comes in, and he's got this reputation that he's developed in the kind of rural parts of Israel. And, and everybody's like, this is the prophet. He's been healing people. And, and now they're welcoming him not just as a prophet, not just as a healer, not just as a teacher. But now they're saying, he's the Messiah. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're, they're actually quoting messianic psalms as they welcome him in, into there. And so the Messiah was expected to be a ruler. And they think, this guy's probably it. And what does Jesus do right after he comes into Jerusalem? He goes to the temple, and he starts kicking over tables, running out the money changers, cleansing the temple. You know what? He wasn't the first person to do that. Actually, there were other would-be messiahs in the couple of hundred years leading up to that time, which actually did the same thing. Their first act as being a messiah is they would cleanse the temple from the corruptions, usually by other outward powers. Jesus is cleansing the temple from the religious folk. So... Here we are in the midst of Passover week when Jesus decides to come in to Jerusalem. And I think it speaks to the shape of his ministry. Jesus' ministry, the, 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 the biggest defining thing of it is its Passover shape. You know, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to him in the, in the first chapter of, of John, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Of the sin of the world. Now, a lot of evangelical Protestant, us folks who come from, you know, stuff that Martin Luther did, we tend to think of that just in terms of that God uh, in Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sin. And that, that's part of it. We, we need that. But I think when we're going to look at this today, we're going to find that the, that the biggest paradigm of what Jesus came to do was a Passover shape to it. It has to do with that Exodus story that happened all the way back in the beginning. So before we talk about what Jesus does in Holy Week, I want to look back to the first Passover ever. We could read about it. It's back in Genesis. You can read about it on your own time. I'm just going to tell the story here real quick, okay? Tracking with me? Okay. Yes, sir. Wow. <laughs> talk to my kids. No. Um, the first Passover really had to do with the Jewish people who grew up in slavery. 
for 400 years. Think about this. We, there's certain things, I talked about this last weekend, there's certain things that we just assume as Americans because we've grown up in America, right? And we've got a history in America. I mean, we, there's no other nation that has existed on the planet that's had it like as good as we have. We've got abundant resources. I mean, we feed people all over the world. We've got, you know, amazing, diverse, different kinds of sceneries. We've got a democratic form of government. We've got free market economics. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just this little crazy thing that happened in America. And we think it's normal, right? And I think that's why a lot of people think Americans are arrogant all over the world because, like, like this is the way you got to do it. You know, everybody gets a vote and free market. And, and people are like, dude, we don't understand what you're saying. But that's kind of our, our way of seeing things because that's where we've grown up. We have 200 years of growing up in a, in a free market, democratic, abundant, prosperous part of the world. But when you look at, say, the, the Jews... The first, as they were beginning to form as a people group, 400 plus years as they were forming their national, ethnic, racial identity, it was under slavery. Think about how different it might be for you to be in their shoes. <laughs> Instead of growing up thinking you could make anything you wanted out of yourself and just choose your own destiny and, and work hard, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Imagine growing up in 400 years of slavery. Mama and dad were slaves. Their parents were slaves. Their parents were slaves. Their parents, as far as we can remember going back in our family history, everybody's been slave. And, and I'm going to be a slave because that's what my dad did. I'm just going to, you know, put my head down, try not to make any waves, uh, and, and, and Egypt's going to feed me. Imagine the psychological component for that people group. And they begin to cry out to God. We heard that, that one time, way back in our history, there was this guy, Abraham, and you promised that we were going to be prosperous, that, that all the nations of the world were going to be blessed through what you did through him. But we're enslaved. We're a little help, God. Please, hear our cries. And so God raises up a deliverer by the name of Moses. And if you've seen... What's the movie? The Ten Commandments. You know the story, right? Uh, Moses does all these various uh, miraculous acts, these different plagues to get Pharaoh's attention. And they, they kind of escalate as it goes. You've got you know, turning the water to blood. You've got boils breaking out on people. You've got frogs and lice and locusts. And, 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 and every once in a while, Pharaoh's about to say, okay, we'll let all the, all the Jewish people be free. But then he, he, he changes his mind. His heart becomes hardened. And so the, the, the apex of all the, all the plagues, all the signs and wonders that God has done is the Passover. God tells Moses, I want you to go tell my people, tonight you're going to eat a meal. And you're going to eat it with your travel clothes on, with your bags packed. Because I'm going to do something special. Here's what I want each family to do. I want you to take a little lamb and you're going to cook that lamb up for dinner. But you take a little bit of that lamb's blood and I want you to put it on the doorpost of your home. And so the, the, the children of Israel did that. And that night, the angel of death passes through all the land of Egypt, taking the firstborn of every home that doesn't have blood on the doorpost. And that was the final thing that finally Pharaoh's hardened heart, even as hard as it was, he, he, he couldn't hold on any longer. He's like, 
these guys are a curse. If I keep them around, the whole place is going to be destroyed. So that next day there's weeping all over Egypt and they, they say, just get out of here, you Hebrew people. Leave. Actually, they load them down with, with gold and silver and all kinds of stuff. And thus begins the Exodus story. So the very, the very thing that, that God uh, uses to break them out of Egypt, the, the final, uh, the high point of everything that God was doing was the Passover. And so God tells them, once you leave here, this, this Passover that you celebrated tonight, you're gonna rem- I want you to celebrate this every year from now on to remember how I heard your cries and how I delivered you from slavery. So if we look at the Passover, the, 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 the big motif about it is that God hears the cries of his people who are trapped in slavery and he rescues them and he breaks them out and he begins leading them to a promised land. That's what the Exodus is about. And so the children of Israel, they would celebrate this, this feast every year. It's a, it's a week-long feast. And they would eat a special meal that would commemorate it. They would tell the story. And this became a part of their history. And I, I believe even the way that, that Egypt had, had dominated their cultural psyche, now God was, was doing a new spiritual formation with them by eating this meal. They would talk about freedom. They would taste it. They would talk about what God did. Now, some years they would celebrate this festival. Things are going great. Other years, they celebrated Passover when things weren't looking so good, when times were tough. But when Jesus comes on the scene this Passover week, they'd been celebrating this festival of Passover for 1,500 years. 1,500 weeks of, of Passover celebrations had happened before Jesus comes on the scene. And I think it's, it's, it's something that we have to keep in mind in the context of what Jesus was doing, that, that out of anything he could have done, he decides to show up in the midst of Passover, in the midst of, of the, the children of Israel reflecting on what God had done in their past. Because see, the Passover week that Jesus comes in, guess what? They weren't enslaved by Egypt, but they still weren't free. The Romans were occupying them. Things were still not like what God had promised. They're in the promised land, but yet they're, they're, they're slaves. And so Jesus comes in the midst of that to celebrate the Passover. And I want to read tonight, I mean, <laughs> read tonight. I want to read about the night that Jesus celebrates Passover with his own disciples. In Luke 22, verse 7, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to him, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus, in the midst of Passover week, in the midst of this 
tension between people who hate him and want to kill him and then people on the other hand who see him as the Messiah and want to see him take the throne that week. In the midst of all this, he takes the, the Passover meal and he reconfigures it around himself. You know that whole thing that, that God did back there in Genesis? God's doing that again. But tonight, it's not about sacrificing a lamb. It's about the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I've heard the cries of my people, and I've come to deliver them. To, by, by tomorrow night, there's going to be blood, not just on a doorpost uh, of a home, but blood on the doorpost of the universe. I've heard the cries of my people, and I want to bring them into freedom. So that night, we find instituted the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, uh, communion. And it happens in a meal. And I think it's interesting to think about what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Most Christians take that to mean, oh, okay, it's kind of what we do here every week. <laughs> we take some bread, we take a cup, uh, we, we eat the bread, drink the, the cup. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. What if Jesus wasn't just saying, eat this meal? What if Jesus is saying, do what these symbols point to? See, the, the thing about the, the, the story of Jesus on Holy Week is it's, it's, it's crazy. It's disappointing in one sense. You see Jesus coming in, welcoming him as the Messiah. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And by the end of the week, his disciples are discouraged and depressed because their leader has been killed in a graphic, brutal, violent way on a cross. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to be broken and poured out. This meal is not just about a meal, what I'm going to do. It's about what I want you to live in, the reality of this table. See, Jesus, the way that he overthrows evil is not with a sword. It's not by forcing people bow down and believe in me. Jesus doesn't do that. He loves people into his kingdom. <laughs> He finds a woman in adultery. He welcomes her in when everybody wants to stone her. He eats with tax collectors, sinners. He's telling them the kingdom of God is available to you. Don't believe the lies that you've got to jump through all these hoops because I'm showing you what the Father's like and He loves you. Jesus overthrows darkness not by picking up a sword, not by demanding people to follow Him, not by threatening them with punishment, but by welcoming them in. And we see this in the table. Do this in remembrance of me. The same thing that I've done for you. I've loved you. I've, I've been there for you. I've, I've brought healing into your life. I've brought you into free. Now, you do that for one another. You know, I mentioned this a, a, a few weeks ago. Uh, during kind of our membership series. But a lot of people have heard this, this part or read this part where Paul talks about if you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, it's, it's bad news for you because you don't discern the body of Christ rightly. And a lot of people think of that in kind of terms like, oh, I got to get real introspective and morbid before I take the, the cup, right? Have you ever thought that before? You just start coming up with like, dude, I don't want to be sick or diseased or, you know, I want to take it in a worthy manner. I better start coming up with some stuff that I've done wrong and, and tell it to the Lord. 
But what I said back then is that if you look at it in context of the whole book of Corinthians, Paul says discerning the body, when he says you don't discern the body of Christ rightly, he's talking not about uh, your own introspective thing. He's talking about how are you in relationship with one another? Because see, the very symbolism of broken and poured out, of, of bread and wine, it, it, it talks about what Jesus did for us, but also the reality He wants us to live in with one another and the world around us. We overthrow the principalities and powers not by trying to boycott things, not by trying to uh, seize power, not by trying to lord things over people or pay, make people believe what we believe, but we do it the same way Jesus did. Power under, serving, loving, humility. And that is truth that doesn't just bring forgiveness, it actually brings change in your life. See, I think if we just make what Jesus did about he just needs to forgive your sins, you know, I can be forgiven and never change. My wife's done that a few times, right? I've done her wrong and I'm sorry, babe. I forgive you. And then I do it again. But you know what's, what's, what's cool about Jesus? If, if we look at it under the Exodus narrative, Jesus is saying, this meal that we're celebrating tonight, it's Passover. But it's a big kind of Passover because there's a bigger enemy than Rome. It's called sin. And I've come here to free humanity from the clutches of sin and death and decay. I've come to walk you into a new exodus, a a, a new journey to the promised land, and you're going to be healed and freed and changed in that. See, I can tell you in all my years of being a Christian, yeah, did I need to be forgiven of stuff? Absolutely. (laughs) I've done some stupid things, some bad things, intentionally, unintentionally. I needed to be forgiven. But the thing that's really changed me is is the love of Christ. That he has met me in my journey and, and I've experienced him as the one who was broken and poured out for me. Who's invited me into that and is helping me to be that for other people. That changes my heart. That takes me out of slavery. Now, I want to say this. That Jesus got the children, I mean, God got the, the children of Israel out of Egypt miraculously and pretty quick. But he spent 40 years getting Egypt out of them. <laughs> And God used things like, like causing them to, to have to eat manna, to come to God every day for bread, and to humble them and test them and take them through the wilderness. And, and, and oftentimes, that's what God does with us. But if you follow Jesus, it's going to transform you. It is going to change you. Now, I want to say this. Communion, this may be an, an odd message in a, in, a, in a series about spiritual disciplines. Like, have you ever thought of communion as a discipline? Okay, maybe not. It's a sacrament. But see, I think what happens when we come to this table, it reorients us around Jesus, what he's done, who he is. And, and it helps us to remember that, that, that we're not in this world the way everybody else is. We're not in this for power, prestige, prominence. We're here to love people, reconcile them into the kingdom of God, to see his kingdom come, his will be done, to see things set right, even as he sets things right on the inside of us. Do this in remembrance of me. Communion seems so weak. We're celebrating a God who dies on a cross in a brutal way. And yet it's the very power of God. It's the very power of God. So when we come to the table, it reminds us of a covenant, uh, a new covenant that's not based on the best you and I can do. Thank God, right? (laughs) We're reminded at the table, Jesus says, I'm starting a new covenant. 
I'm doing a new thing. I'm, 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 I'm fulfilling that story of Israel as the perfect Israelite, but I'm starting a new thing, a new covenant. And it's based not on your faithfulness, but my faithfulness. That's good. When we come to the table, we're reminded that we're a part of a new community, a new people. I love this. Paul, Paul is like just blown away by this. He talks about this quite a bit in his writings. He says, in Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave or free. At the table, everybody's welcome. You, know, you realize how radical that was back in that time? I mean, women couldn't just come hang out with guys. Sorry. <laughs> slaves couldn't eat at the same table with free people, rich people. Their slaves wouldn't come eat at the table. That was scandalous. And Jews and Greeks, they didn't mix. And, and Paul says, in Christ, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. And at his table, anybody's welcome. Because of what he's done. We're a part of a new community that's based on Jesus. We're reminded of the strength of God and weakness. We're reminded of the God who hears our cries in slavery and steps into the midst of our slavery He takes the form of a slave, as he says in Paul, uh, in in Philippians 2. He's humbled himself, taking the form of a slave, entering into our slavery and dying as the worst kind of slave to bring us freedom, to be our Passover lamb that busts us out of the slavery we're in. When we come to the table, we remember that because this this is a hopeful meal. Because as, as, as much, you know, I wrote that last song we did this morning, kind of just meditating on Romans 8, 18 through 28. And it talks about we're groaning inside under the curse of sin and creation is groaning. But God enters into that. And we hope. We hope. We don't deny that we're going through bad stuff. See, the table is a place to bring all of your sorrow, all your pain, all of your... All the stuff that doesn't make sense, the sickness, the, the ways that things have let you down, we bring that to the, to the God who's entered into our sickness, into our disease, into our slavery. We find his hope in that. So this morning, we're going to celebrate the God who saves, who heals, who sets free as we reflect on the Passover Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite Faith up here. She's going to lead us in a song. And this morning, Faith and, um, I mean, Wanda and Ray are, are going to, to, to come distribute communion. And as, as, as Faith just sings, maybe, maybe this morning, rather than getting introspective about every stupid thing you've done wrong this week, the time where you wanted to, you know, cuss out somebody on the road, Maybe you just ought to come to the Lord's table and say, God, am I treating other people in the body of Christ? Am I right with them? Am I broken and poured out for them? Am I discerning who your body really is? Maybe this morning you come in here weighed down. Bring bring your trials, your sufferings, your disappointment to Jesus today. See him as the God who hears your cries. We're going to let you come up whenever you feel led this morning and just take of the bread and the cup yourself as faith leads us in a song. So
So in the name of Jesus, may you live this week broken and poured out for others. May you live this week by the grace that is stronger than your weakness. May you live this week loved, loved by God. May you live this week freed from the clutch of sin, freed from shame, freed from fear, free from the things that have enslaved you. For God has come and he's heard your cries. May you live this week as a new people who are gathered together not by race or ethnicity, or gender, or social class, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain, whose blood is on the doorpost of the universe, of whom nothing can separate you from His love. May you live as a part of a new family this week. May you live formed by the bread and the wine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.